And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the busy intersection of faith and reason. I'm Doug Keck, your gatekeeper. Remember, your questions are so important to this program. Send them to us and email them at spitzersuniversityw10.com. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, themagiscenter.com, thecrediblecatholic.com, and purposefuluniverse.com as well. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on our EW10 On Demand page and on our EW10 YouTube channel. We recently added I Am Standing for Life, National Pro-Life Roundtable produced by Kevin Dunn to our on-demand page. That's, of course, as part of uh, our Canadian coverage of their pro-life uh, march that's actually happening this week. And our show topic, we're dealing with human freedom. And uh, that's uh, in the headlines these days, too. From Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available through our religious catalog. Hopefully you have it already. And the book of the month for May, Living Calm written by somebody who's never calm, Dr. Ray Garendi. It's called Mastering Anger and Frustration. So you got to read it and figure out how Ray decides to live calmly. And, of course, we'll turn once again to somebody who's always calm. It's our own Father <laughs> Spitzer. And we have asked Father Spitzer, before uh, I ask you to start everything off with a prayer, we want to do this in, in honor of, uh, you know, Danny Abramowitz, of course, uh, great uh, yeah. friend of the network. And somebody, his, his wife, Claudia, is very sick, and we like to ask everybody oh. to pray for her. You bet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask you to bless Claudia uh, Obramowitz today, and especially that uh, she might recover uh, from her illness, and of course, bless the entire Obramowitz family. Please, Lord, keep the Easter blessings uh, continuing to flow in us and through us to the world, and please continue to help us in our pro-life efforts to capitalize on what might be a culture of life once again in this country, through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, that uh, was tough news to hear, but hopefully she'll recover. Yeah. I appreciate you doing that, Father. And of course, oh. coming up, uh, we have a little uh, pre-birthday uh, news, of course. Father Spitzer's birthday is coming up on <laughs> Saturday, I believe, oh, right? Boy. It is Saturday, right? Uh, it's, it's a big 7-0. That's, that's in the shindig is, yeah, the big 7 yeah. All right. Well, you know, we were able to find uh, some home video footage of some of your friends when they were kids. Uh, we didn't have it for your birthday, but it was for a neighbor's birthday. Uh, you might have been in the kitchen at the time, but we wanted to play that right now. <laughs> we baked you a birthday cake. If you get a tummy ache And you moan and groan and woe Don't forget we told you so Happy birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> Make a wish, dear, and blow out the candles. Here they go! And <laughs> ah, there, that's for you, Father. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Doug. I am my, absolutely my favorite, and of course, right. I uh, I think I'm familiar with that particular, um, uh, you know, uh, clip. Um, right, uh, clip of the uh, of the Three Stooges. Those very, were very fine. Three of your indeed. <laughs> three of your childhood friends, Mo, Larry, and Curly, as oh, I recall that. Oh, Curly, absolutely. Right, there you go. So, so we wanted to play that in honor of you. 
because uh, we want to keep <laughs> you. you keep you safe too. Uh, just before we get into some of the news and stuff, I thought we just came out of Mother's mm -hmm. Day, and I thought there was a couple of uh, quotes mm -hmm. that uh, one of our reporters from uh, CNA uh, uh, said about mothers, and we just wanted to pass these along. And it said, uh, "Saint Teresa of Lisieux said the loveliest masterpiece of the heart of God is the heart of a mother." Uh, Saint Teresa Benedicta, also known as Edith Stein, said, "To be a mother." is to nourish and protect true humanity and bring it to development. St. Teresa of Calcutta said that special power of loving that belongs to a woman is seen most clearly when she becomes a mother. And our great friend uh, of, of late uh, is Alice von Hildebrand, of course. A woman, by her very nature, is maternal. For every woman, whether married or unmarried, is called upon to be a biological, psychological, or spiritual mother. And I figured just some of our great uh, people in the church, some of them saints, yeah. some of them who actually are saints but aren't recognized yet, we'll see. Uh, just to remind yeah. us, because, you know, with all the information with Roe v. Wade and everything going out yeah. up there and abortion, you know, we really need to yeah. honor mothers uh, and realize the, the, the high regard uh, the church certainly holds uh, uh, for that uh, institution oh. of motherhood. The other thing I wanted yeah. to mention, too, with everything yeah, going my on. My mother especially, too. Absolutely, yeah, I'm sure for your yeah. mom. And the bishops yeah. call for a day of prayer and fasting coming up on the 13th. So people may want to note that uh, in because of the uh, basically some of the things going on, especially for oh, the yeah. uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, conversion of hearts, yeah. a new commitment to building America where children are welcome, and also asking our Blessed Mother for her intercession. So I wanted to mention that as well. I'm sure you'll see some coverage from Absolutely. EWTN News and from EWTN on something like that. So keep that in mind as well. Also, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, uh, some things happened out in California, I know. There's been some unrest, obviously, people mm -hmm. demonstrating upset about the leak, mm -hmm. um, even at the uh, cathedral out in, in Los Angeles, I understand, right? Yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah, it was not out in Orange, it was in LA, mm. yeah. Right, exactly, mm -hmm. and we had uh, tabernacles stolen in, in, uh, and the Catholic Church defaced and a pregnancy clinic that was firebombed. Yeah. And, and this was the comment that came out from this group called Ruth Sentis, which apparently refers to uh, Ruth Ginsburg, though she herself indicated oh, yeah. she was troubled by the underpinnings, legal underpinnings of Roe when she was alive. It says, stuff mm -hmm. your rosaries and your weaponized prayer. We will remain outraged after this weekend, so keep praying. We'll be burning the Eucharist to show our disgust for the abuse Catholic Whoa. Church have condoned for centuries. I mean, that's the kind of vitriol we're talking about. Well, I mean, that uh, certainly shows you who's behind this effort. Uh, it is clearly not uh, the living God. It's clearly not Jesus Christ who provided us with his own body and blood out of unconditional love in the Eucharist. Uh, I guess it has to be an opposite spirit, as St. Ignatius of Loyola would say. Uh, the spirit that uh, provokes uh, and, and fosters hatred, uh, the spirit that uh, fosters deceit, as if to say that burning the heart of God would actually bring about something good, and, and of course the spirit that uh, fosters discord within the community, and above all the spirit that fosters death and the spirit that fosters premature death and murder and the spirit uh, the spirit that fosters the darkness of this kind of 
quote, sacrament uh, to, to, to death and, and to uh, evil at its, its, its uh, you know, pinnacle. Mm. And I would just say, uh, yeah, I, uh, I can just tell you, uh, you know, who's the, uh, the, the, as they say, the backstage author uh, of, of that little uh, missive uh, that was sent out on behalf of, uh, of Ruth Ginsburg. Uh, certainly not the spirit of holiness. Right, absolutely. It's also interesting, too, uh, and there was uh, Janet Yellen was testifying, uh, the Treasury Secretary was testifying yeah. about the impact of abortion, and, and she was making the point that, uh, in a sense, that ab abortion would have, uh, getting rid of it, so to speak, would have a negative impact on our employment uh, situation in the United States, as if that was something to be considered. First of all, of course, this is absolute nonsense, you know, that you would make life and death decisions on the basis of economics. I mean, even if it were true, it would be horrendous. I mean, that's like Nazi philosophy, Stalinist philosophy writ large, the Maoist Cultural Revolution. All we got to do is sacrifice a few million people and we're all going to be economically better off. I think that's, you know, I mean, this is the mentality that we're dealing with. I mean, it's the mentality of moral primitives so I mean that's the first thing the second thing is is totally false look at China reversing you know course on everything they can possibly reverse course on they're trying now two-child policy three-child policy they've right. got to get out of this rut that they've dug themselves into with mandatory abortion over the last several decades and on top of that uh, take a look at even Elon Musk is saying right you know Absolutely. hey you know is anybody conscious of the fact that there's going to be a population implosion out there and we're going to you know starting in 2077 I mean, every developed country in the world is going to go downward, catapulting downward economically because we don't have enough lives, uh, you know, to, and not only enough lives to do the labor that needs to be done, to do the creativity that needs to be done to have the, the, the lives that will be the new educated populace that will be the new leadership for the world. But in addition to all of that, of course, uh, we're going to have an aged population and, of course, just nobody, no young people out there uh, to to sustain it. What are we mm. going to do? Well, we're going to have to have mass immigration. That's what we're going to have to do. And the mass immigration, I'm, you know, let's bring them on in because that's uh, what, what is going to save developed countries is the people that are in uh, the developing mm. countries. And I think this is a, a, a um, you know, an ironic turn of events. But certainly, I mean, you know, when you look at the logic of, you know, this, this trying to equate you know, mm -hmm. abortion is being good for the economy. It's terrible for any economy. Mm -hmm. People are the basis of an economy. Economies are from people and for people. Hello, mm -hmm. this is an economist. I mean, right. she's got rocks I in there. I think she's reading Sorry. Freakonomics or whatever that book of <laughs> yeah, several exactly. years ago, which had that kind of malarkey <laughs> yeah. in it, as I recall, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. So let me ask you. Here's, here's another article, it was in the Federalist, and I, I wanted to get your, your commentary on this, because what we're seeing with the level Whoa. of vitriol, and a lot of times the masks coming off in these situations, and their point was why today's left is willing to admit that abortion kills a child and still support it. And, and it's the whole idea of saying yeah. years ago, obviously we used to, well, we don't know if it's a child, maybe it's a child. It could, now it seems to be at least those who are the major proponents of it have no problem admitting mm -hmm. it's a child, do they? Yeah. 
Yeah. No, in fact, uh, I think the reason that they are having no problem admitting it is because the vast majority of Ph.D. biologists say, yeah, life begins at conception, fertilization. It's a unique life. It's, uh, you know, it's a self-sustaining mm -hmm. organism that, you know, is, you know, moving its way toward its own uh, development. And it's got all the uh, ingredients necessary for that self-development mm -hmm. within itself. Um, you know, of course, it's, you know, dependent upon uh, the mother's body for nine months. And after that, it's dependent upon the, the, the welfare, uh, the, the goodness of the parents to, who are going to sustain uh, that life. But eventually, that, I mean, is clearly an autonomous human life with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, has everything in it uh, that it will need to be fully developed into its future. Uh, the only thing it lacks is, uh, you know, a few... Uh, unfoldings of what's in it already. So all, the only change between, you know, a preborn infant and a, and a postborn infant, uh, the only change is uh, accidental, right? There's a few stages of development that have unfolded, but there's no substantial difference. The entirety of the substance is there, present at the moment of fertilization slash conception, and because of that, um, you know, we are dealing, you know, uh, essentially with a full, mm. unique human being. And, and it's so hard to deny at that point. So that's, that's the first reason that mm. this is going on. The second uh, reason that this is going on is uh, because once you're kind of faced with this fact and faced with the fact that the, the science in Roe v. Wade is going to be challenged, what's the point of trying to elevate a science that's been completely disproven mm -hmm. or to try and use a criterion which has so many intrinsic weaknesses with, by comparison with fertilization slash conception, right, that uh, it's, it's almost humorous uh, to, to look at. The, the point that is really important at this juncture uh, for them is to insist that abortion and the, the mother's liberty rights are more important than the life rights of the child. But this is the same perversion that led to the, to, to the Dred Scott uh, decision um, before the Civil War when you had, of mm -hmm. course, the uh, Supreme Court of the United States unanimously saying that the uh, Negro population, uh, because there uh, were no rights guaranteed to them uh, explicitly in the Constitution, uh, that in point of fact um, they have no rights and should be then subject to the superior race. I'm quoting them, not me. So I mean this is the, the same logic, the very same logic. We see no rights provided for in the Constitution. But the Constitution does not provide rights for everybody. As, uh, by the way, um, uh, Justice Alito so brilliantly manifests in that decision. This is completely wrong. And Roe's basis judicially is completely wrong. And so if you take that into consideration, mm -hmm. then um, uh, they, they were looking for rights where no rights are to be uh, to be found, mm -hmm. and then finding none, decide to deny it altogether uh, to uh, to little babies just because they happen to be in the womb. And so that's the first flaw, uh, you know, is, is in the decision itself, and Alito has exposed it for what it is. Mm -hmm. There's another flaw, though, in it uh, that was, I think, characteristic in inalienable rights theory from its very inception. Remember that inalienable rights come from a Jesuit priest by the name of Francisco Suarez. He was the guy who articulated it for the very first time in his work called De Legibus. He's the one 
one that says that every human being is born into the world with the intrinsic uh, right to be dealt with with minimum justice. And minimum justice is to have the life you need to be human, is to have the liberty you need to be human, and to have the capacity to pursue happiness, which means purpose in life, higher purpose in life, in the way that it means to be human. That's at the very minimum what belongs to everybody by justice, everybody by natural law, everybody by their very nature. Now, Suarez puts this out, but in addition, when he articulates the kinds of rights, he says life, then he calls, he doesn't call it liberty, he calls it, you know, um, self-determination or mm -hmm. uh, self-governance. So, um, and not quite, but it's, it means liberty, that's what it means. And then, of course, uh, when he goes on to talk about, uh, you know, the capacity uh, to, um, you know, pursue, um, you know, uh, my ends that are truly, uh, you know, satisfying. Uh, in other words, uh, for the pursuit of happiness. Now, when um, he articulates it, he articulates it in that order. And, of course, that order is taken over by Hugo Grotius, uh, the father of international law, who borrows all of this from this uh, priest, uh, Francisco Suarez. And then, of course, uh, who borrows it from Hugo Grotius? Ah, uh, but John Locke himself in the second treatise on government. But he brings over the same hierarchy of rights, life, liberty, and oh, he calls it property, Locke does. Mm -hmm. And then when Jefferson borrows it, he then uh, turns back and he borrows the same uh, hierarchy, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in that order. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because there's a natural ordering process. There's even a criterion, a necessity criterion, that's built into that ordering process. If one right is necessary for the very possibility of another right, then the right that's necessary must be the higher right. It must be the more determinative right. Mm -hmm. So if the right to life is necessary for the very um, possibility of the right to liberty, and of course it is, right? If you're dead, your liberty rights are a moot question. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then if the right to life is, is necessary for the very uh, possibility of the right to liberty, then the right to life must be a higher right than the right to liberty. So if you're going to grant that the, this is a human being, then that human being's mm -hmm. right to life must take precedence over the mother's right to liberty in any rights conflict question. Now, if that is the case, mm -hmm. then we must uh, take a look at the further question of what grounds, what legal grounds, what philosophical grounds, what ethical moral grounds does the, you know, does the, the uh, pro-abortion movement have to stand on? They don't have a single ground to stand on. And that's why they have to shout all the louder. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm saying this as I'm shouting, but that's why they have to shout all the louder. That uh, that this is uh, you know absolutely um, mm -hmm. uh, needed uh, in order for um, uh, you know their their flawed stand uh, to be at least thought to be a, a, a you know a, a cause that is not unjust. Mm -hmm. Certainly, nobody can think abortion is a just cause. I mean, it's the grossest injustice in the right. world to a poor little voiceless being. And what's the, 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 the different, uh, what's the similarity between Dred Scott and Roe v. Wade? Well, it's not just the fact that um, uh, the liberty rights of black people were ruled out in order to please the, the, the uh, property rights of uh, white people. Um, and, and we have in Roe, the life, life rights of the, the child are ruled out in favor of the liberty rights of, of the mother. We've got that problem. We've also got the same problem of not in the Constitution, therefore don't have to guarantee it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another, of course, terrible flaw that uh, uh, Justice Alito has pointed out. And finally, of course, mm -hmm. um, they're voiceless. 
It's right. these two big voiceless populations. Hey, if you're voiceless, you don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. So uh, if you know you're handicapped, if you're in the womb, if you're a little kid, you know, don't worry about it. We'll find the infanticide route to help you out. Uh, we'll make the decision for you. Right. But uh, what did Ronald Reagan say a long time ago? Isn't it interesting that all the people right. who are very pro-abortion uh, uh, have already been born? Been born right. Absolutely. <laughs> well, this person goes on to say, uh, talking about where we are with postmodernism, came the idea that each person could define his own truth and therefore his own reality. It makes sense then, they say, that our culture would glorify abortion because by that paradigm, killing an inconvenient baby is a means to self-empowerment. If eugenicists, abortionists pushed to kill babies for the good of society a century ago, as you were kind of alluding to with that, now yeah. they purport mm -hmm. to do so for the good of the individual woman. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the same false criterion. Mm -hmm. the, I mean, what, the basic flaw is, you know, the old criterion goes back to St. Augustine, actually, but, of course, was baptized for the by the secular culture all the way until the 20th century mm -hmm. when we have got wise enough to do postmodernist philosophy. But the point, of course, is uh, uh, the end does not justify the means. Mm -hmm. And you cannot use a terribly unjust means like killing a person in order to get uh, to a supposedly good end, right? The, the good of the mother, uh, the good of the society, uh, you know, the good of the, the you know the eugenics movement, uh, the, the good of racial order, as Margaret Sanger would put it, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the idea is you can't use an unjust means to get to a supposedly good end. It undermines the goodness of the end, and it will ultimately undermine, right? Because once you start committing injustices right and left, you're not just going to undermine that particular end, they're going to undermine the people who are involved in it and undermine the society who actually believes this horrible ethical outrage that has now been justified in these mythological terms. It's unbelievable. So um, anyway. It's, just, it's interesting. Uh, Let me ask you what your thought is yeah. on this. I always remember Mother Angelica years ago saying, the day is coming when you won't be able to sit on the fence anymore. You're going to have to choose Jesus yeah. or against him. There's not going to be the mushy middle. Now you're going to have a situation yeah. if Roe v. Wade is overturned where people are going to have the opportunity to vote on it, in which case mm -hmm. pe some people, let's per se, politicians and even individuals who've mm -hmm. used the kind of, well, it's, it's in the Constitution, there's really nothing we can do about mm -hmm. it, are going to be put on the spot. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, um, you know, the, you know, the mushy middle uh, is, is not going to be, uh, um, you know, uh, possible anymore. I think once you start admitting this is really a child, and once you really admit that every human being, no exceptions, every human being has inalienable rights by their very nature, this is what we have always believed in this country, it's what we have always believed uh, in our civil liberties since the time of Francisco Suarez, Hugo Grotius, mm -hmm. John Locke, etc. Uh, you know, if, if we really do hold these truths to be self-evident, mm -hmm. as Jefferson put it, uh, before talking about those inalienable rights in the Declaration of Independence. Let's face it, if we believe those truths, then that child not only has inalienable rights, that child is deserving of protection under the law, even protection from his mother. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, he is an autonomous human being, mm -hmm. not autonomous in the sense of a law unto himself, but he has rights unto himself
irrespective of the mother that he is dependent upon. I mean, that's why you can't go kill your child after birth. Yes, of course, the child is dependent on his parents after the birth of the child, but you can't go kill that child and say, well, he was dependent on me. Nobody believes that this is a, a, a just thing to do, that it is a right thing to do. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, except for Peter Singer at Princeton. Uh, he's the only guy I know uh, who really kind of, you know, continues to propose and fantasize seriously. But the uh, the point is, is it it has become a little fashionable in this country to mm -hmm. to take out the old infanticide, uh, um, you know, uh, moral question and brush it off a little bit. Uh, that good uh, governor there in Virginia, right, absolutely, who basically right. uh, said uh, let him die, right. and then wants to, of course, put through a bill, you know, eh, just after birth too. We may as well include a few other infants in there. Right. I mean, uh, after all, if they're not wanted and they're having a little bit of trouble digesting or breathing, right. don't give them anything to help them out if they're not wanted. Well, you know, the point right. that uh, I think we have to get back to is what is just and what is unjust? If you're religious, of course, you know already this is an outrage. Murder's always unjust. It's always unjust. You don't have to go through an alienable rights theory. It's unjust. Mm -hmm. And it's the most unjust thing uh, that there is, especially if the, the victim in question is an innocent victim. They've done nothing wrong. Their inalienable rights are intact. Of course, you cannot kill them. Mm -hmm. And the idea that people actually think that this is justifiable because a baby is dependent on their mother or a baby is an inconvenience, to say that this is a just action, to try and claim that it's a just action, the perversion is so great that just the mere believing in it will certainly topple over every other ethical principle that you have. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you can't agree in what's, you know, the minimalistic ethical principle, right? Uh, it's called the silver rule. Do not do unto others what you would not have them do unto you. Don't do a harm to others that you don't want done to, to you. Don't do an unnecessary harm to others. And if the harm is mm -hmm. unavoidable, minimize it. Mm -hmm. If you can't agree to that, you're a sociopath. Mm -hmm. What do we want to become? An entire culture of sociopaths? Of course we don't. Mm -hmm. This is just unacceptable. We just have to get back to justice. I mean, if you, you say, well, you're, that's your religion. No, justice is not about anybody's religion. Mm -hmm. Justice is about justice. Justice is about giving to a human being the minimum, the minimum rights that they are accorded by their very human existence. And I would, of course, hasten to add, but you don't have to, their very human transphysical soul, which is going to survive bodily death and is of infinite, um, uh, you know, uh, preciousness to the Lord our God. So the point, of course, is you want to go ahead? Mm -hmm. I mean, that lady that's out there prancing around in, in front of St. Patrick's Church, right. you know, yeah. picking apart a, a model of these little babies right. and dancing around and tearing off an arm and a head. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, there, we are becoming. I mean, that's sociopathic behavior. Are you kidding me? I mean, and, and we're, we're justifying it, applauding it. Right. Are we becoming the society of, of not just injustice, but the society of, of, of sociopaths? Maybe, I don't know. But mm. this is what happens when you actually try, you know, to, to you know, on a huge level, uh, mm. promote uh, an injustice uh, of such gravity 
as abortion. But anyway, Absolutely. you know, I, I you know I get excited about these things. But I mean, it's obviously an important thing to be excited about because uh, you know our, our it's not just our society that's decaying. Our collective hearts are decaying because our individual hearts are decaying because we believe this junk, which deep down in our consciences we know is just false. We know it in our consciences, and of course, uh, uh, we can't uh, subscribe to the fact right. that conscience is just our superego going right. nuts. Uh, conscience, I think, as uh, uh, John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman says, it's uh, basically the voice of God speaking within. Right. Anyway, I'll just got, leave, leave it at that point. Okay. Let's move on to some questions on some other topics in the closing two minutes of the first half of the show. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, dear Father Spitzer, I have a very difficult time with Mother's Day, uh, and my mother was very negligent of me and later abandoned my whole family. One Mother's Day at Mass, the priest's homily was about how nurturing and loving a mother was. Ever since then, I have been hesitant to attend Mass on Mother's Day because of how upsetting it is. Is it a sin for me to miss, miss Mass on Mother's Day due to my trauma? Sandy. Well, Sandy, what I would just say is don't miss Mass. Mm -hmm. You know, don't sort of, you know, uh, deprive yourself of receiving the Lord, the blessing of the Lord, the reconciliation of the Lord uh, because uh, of this. Uh, maybe try to find a Mass, you know, in the, er the early morning Mass where you have uh, the shorter homily or something of that nature and, and just go there, you know, and, and you know, I always think to myself, you know, do I want to dredge up all this stuff and, and kind of, you know, get all turned off, um, you know, before I, I, I go to Mass. I think that the best thing to do is maybe use the Mass as a lever for following Jesus' words, you know, that we're, we got to forgive the people, even the people who've really just done us wrong. And, you know, everybody in their lifetimes has had something terrible done to, to them. But, uh, of course, in your case, it's mm -hmm. always worse when a mom does something mm -hmm. terrible because a mom should be doing the opposite of what's terrible and negligent. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, you know, forgiveness is the key principle. You know, and the Lord said not just uh, seven times, but 70 times seven times. And, and so... Uh, I think what we, we probably need to think about is, you know, how am I just going to, this Mother's Day, how am I just going to wedge in just a little bit of forgiveness, you know, um, to my mom and try to use the grace of the Eucharist maybe mm -hmm. to, to be the, the grace-filled right. lever to do that. But you don't have to go all the way. Right. Just try and get a little bit in, you know, where you just say, okay, Maybe my mom, maybe there's some reason she was like that. Right. Maybe there was something in her upbringing. Maybe there's something I don't know about that happened to her that made her so negligent. Yeah. Or maybe there was something, you know, that, that uh, you know, uh, maybe, right, exactly. uh, who knows, you know, a horrible thing maybe that, that might have happened. Or just maybe some yeah. brain chemistry issues that just didn't connect well, right. and maybe it's time to let it go. Right, and on the bottom line is who's suffering? She's suffering because yeah. of yeah. not being able to let it go, or at least try to let it go. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have to let you yeah. go for a quick break, yeah. and we'll have much more yeah. ahead with Father Spitzer and your questions right after this. Stay with us. Sure.
And welcome back to Father Spitzer's Universe. Thank you so much for staying with us. We're talking about human freedom. That's our topic from Father's wonderful book, Christ versus Satan, in our daily lives. And I can tell you, Father, uh, as you were talking earlier with what's going on, I think we're seeing him act out in the streets there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. uh, we were talking offline about that uh, that woman who was ripping baby parts, uh, you know, dolls yeah. apart in front of St. Yeah. Pat's. Uh, I think yeah. the one, the old St. Pat's in New York uh, downtown. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it just shows you what we're going to be facing. And the church, as we said earlier, is, has, has been under attack and probably will continue to be under attack. So let's oh, get yeah. to a couple other questions here somebody had before we get to your book. Dear Father Spitzer, on a recent program you spoke about changing and turning one life around and how it would be hard to do after a lifetime when you were older. I'm 68 years old and I have a lot of changes I need to make before I meet my Savior. I'm trying to change for the better and pray often to that end. However, I seem to be more bitter and angry with the world due to the many health problems I have. I was not that way before. I'm afraid I'm too old to change. If I try but fail, what will God do when I die? D. Well, you know, I was really talking about the f more fundamental kind of change, mm -hmm. uh, D. So uh, the first thing is, um, you know, when you're dealing with um, a person who's going down the road of darkness, which you're not, you're mm -hmm. obviously going to church, you're obviously praying, you're obviously trying to follow the Lord. Uh, so first of all, uh, you're not um, what I was talking about in terms of changing. I was talking about a person who's like going down the dark road, right? They're not praying. They're not going to church. They're not following the moral teaching of Jesus. They're doing their o the opposite. They're cooperating with the evil spirit. They're taking the gifts of the evil spirit. They're doing things which are obviously contradictory to Jesus Christ. Now, if that's the kind of turn that's more difficult to make. Mm -hmm. Now, all of us, and I'm sta I stand right with you there, D, right in the front of the line, right? Um, I mean... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that has to do a lot of changing, right? I still got my, my uh, definite anger issues. I've got my definite pride issues. I've got all kinds of things like, uh, did you just hear some of my ranting and raving in the previous part of the show? I mean, uh, I've got a little emotion pent up there. And so, uh, you know, these things uh, are part of me too. You know, so we all have to change those things and we all have to uh, try to imitate the Lord and, and to be more peaceful. But uh, those kinds of changes um, they're Im they're important and they're going to have to be dealt with before I get into heaven and and um, that's going to be what I call the purgatory issues uh, but those are not hell issues mm. um, the other kind of person I was talking about um, those are hell issues mm. uh, when you are categorically rejecting Jesus when you are categorically not praying when you are categorically saying terribly hateful things about God when you are categorically saying things uh, you know that uh, some of the hateful things we we might have uh, mentioned earlier mm -hmm. in the program when you're saying that sort of thing you're going down a dark road and when you're going down a dark road and not only applauding uh, uh, death uh, but actually saying that, you know, uh, uh, dismemberment and everything mm. else is, uh, uh, you know, is going to bring you a great deal of joy and, and right. this, you know, that, uh, uh, that you're, you have to do everything that you can to promote it, et cetera, et cetera. Those things, there's something going terribly wrong mm. uh, there. And uh, all I can say is when you're going down that road and if you really believe the evil spirit's propaganda that deeply, Hey, you've really made it a part of your own heart. That's a hard turn. Right, right. And that, that's going to be a real tough turn. 
But I mean, Jesus says you can do it any time, mm -hmm. but um, you've got to do it. Right. You've got to turn to the Lord and say, have mercy on me, Lord, for I'm a sinful person, a sinful man, sinful woman. And you've got to get, if you're a Catholic, you've got to get, um, you know, back to the sacrament of reconciliation ASAP. I mean, that's the only thing that's going to help you out of it. And then return to the sacraments faithfully. Start to pray and seriously take, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Lord's moral teaching, you know, as if it, your life were dependent on it because your eternal life right. is dependent on it. So that's, that's, right. uh, that's the hard turn I was talking you about. You also find, you, too, mm -hmm. too, with people, I'm sorry, Father, just the idea that sometimes no. when people do try to turn, even those persons really a good person, but I mean, they're trying yeah. against it. Many times they get the initial negative pushback, right? Because yeah. the oh, other yeah. guy is not looking for you to change. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, no. In fact, uh, he's going to try and scare you. He's going to try and alienate you. Uh, he's going to throw a rolling shoulder block at you. He's going to do everything he can uh, to, to make sure that you're going to stumble uh, mm -hmm. if you turn. And he's going to fill you with doubts. And he's going to fill you with nightmares. You know, because you have deigned to, uh, you know, extricate mm -hmm. yourself from mm -hmm. him. And don't worry. Uh, he can even physically, you know, shake you up. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, try and scare you. Mm -hmm. But don't be scared. Right. Uh, remember what Jesus says, I, I have overcome the world. And the world, included in that term, the world, is right. the devil. I've overcome him. So, you know, be of good cheer, don't worry. Uh, I've overcome the world. You can turn back to me, but you gotta do it. You have to turn around and that do it not just in words, that's the first part, Mm -hmm. but do it in actions and get back to that sacrament of reconciliation, pull out that catechism on part three in the moral teaching of Jesus and start studying it and really trying to embrace it. That's the part where, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's tough to do after a lifetime of not doing it and buying a whole package of lies, but it can be done. Right. And many people have done it. I mean, <laughs> I should say, even look at St. Augustine. Right. He was quite a ways down the road there. And, uh, well, you know, Paul, just sort of. And St. Paul. Yeah, exactly. And so those big conversions are the ones that get celebrated the most in heaven, right? I mean. That's true. That's really true. Right. As, so. uh, you know, look at that prod younger son. Right. You Absolutely. Know? <laughs> let, me, let me get one more question before we get to the book. And just mm -hmm. because it kind of goes back to our topic earlier. Dear Father Spencer, recently I heard President Biden use St. Thomas Aquinas to defend his pro-abortion agenda. He was speaking about ensoulment, when the soul becomes infused into the body. What's that all about? William, I know he's talking about quickening, and they throw that in there as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, here's the, the main thing. Yes, St. Thomas Aquinas did say that, and, and Biden is right. He thought ensoulment happened later. Uh, would St. Thomas Aquinas, though, have said it's okay to abort a child prior to ensoulment? Hello? Of course not. A real human being? Are you kidding me? No, St. Thomas Aquinas did not mean anything of the kind. St. Thomas Aquinas was speculating about when ensoulment occurs. We're talking here about the intrinsic rights of a human being. 
Now, today, scientifically, there is no question about it. I've, I've cited these these surveys before mm. of PhD biologists and doctors who all, all you know pretty much agree. Uh, you know, not all of them, but the international one has 96 percent agreed that fertilization conception uh, is the starting point of a new, unique human life. If it's a new, unique human life, by nature, they have an, an inalienable rights. And St. Thomas Aquinas would be, by the way, if he knew the terms inalienable rights, he would have said immediately that they apply to that baby. But he didn't have those terms. That came a little later with Francisco Suarez. However, at the same time, he did believe that the natural law applied to every single human life and that every single human life was deserving of, of justice under the law. Mm -hmm. So first of all, just because uh, you know, Aquinas thought that ensoulment occurred later on didn't mean, of course, he would be applauding abortion for non-ensouled children. Quite the opposite. He would have thought it was a horrific outrage, mm -hmm. and I'm absolutely certain of that. So, of course, Biden is quoting out of context. Well, not surprisingly. Mm -hmm. and, and, of course, then the same thing, uh, that, you know, using it for, you know, the, the, the purposes, you know, sort of misquoting the intention mm -hmm. of Aquinas by using his words against him. Mm -hmm. uh, no question about that. But the point nevertheless is uh, ensoulment, by the way, today, now we really do believe that the soul is present from the very beginning. There's a good case that has been made by a guy named Sir John Eccles, by the way, a Nobel Prize winner in physiology, uh, I might point out, but also a PhD in philosophy. Just happened to be the old double PhD uh, there. But the interesting thing mm -hmm. that, um, uh, you know, of course, uh, Eccles uh, certainly did believe in the soul. And, you know, if you look at his book, you know, the, the uh, there's he's got a couple of, well, he's got several different brains. Uh, one of them is the creation of the, uh, uh, the evolution of the brain and, and uh, the creation of the soul, uh, the creation of the, of the self. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that book, you know, the, the major thing to notice is that if the soul is not present in the development, you know, of, of the brain, the genetic structure of the brain will unfold. But the integration between body and soul for, um, for uh, 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 Eccles has to be from its very, very inception. The brain forms around the soul, not vice versa. The soul is the higher power. Now, let me just go back to my near-death experiences just to illustrate this so you, you can see this uh, pretty clearly. Let's suppose, uh, let, let's just take prima facie uh, the evidence of near-death experiences. Okay, so that um, when you hit clinical death, right, uh, flat EEG, fixed and dilated pupils, no respiration, heart, heart has stopped, et cetera, et cetera. So you reach that point of clinical death, um, you're your soul is going to likely leave your body. Now, what is part of that soul? Can the soul see that's leaving the body? Yes, obviously. How could it see and report all the things that are going on in the waiting room or outside the, the waiting room or outside the hospital? How could, it how could you possibly do that unless the soul uh, you know, uh, was able to see? And, and by the way, was able to hear. And by the way, was able to think. And by the way, was able to think self-reflectively. And by the way, was able not only to think self-reflectively, but compare that to past moments in his life, meaning that the soul has memory. So, okay, this, this soul that's leaving the body has memory, it has vision, it has cognition, it has self-consciousness, etc. Now, what's so interesting about all that is, well, that we know 
that the brain does some of that. The brain doesn't do self-consciousness. That's a very spiritual act. But the, and the brain doesn't do uh, necessarily what we call conceptual rational intelligence. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's a soul function uh, as far as I'm concerned. But I have a good reason for it in a, in a book that I've written uh, called The Soul's Upward Yearning. But that's beside the point. The main thing right mm -hmm. now is to see is if memory definitely is overlap. Vision is definitely an overlap with the body. Hearing is definitely an overlap with the body, etc. So we've got this overlap between uh, the body's functions and the soul's functions. How does how do the two things become completely integrated? If the soul, if we take it for granted that the soul, the identity, as it were, the self-consciousness, is the higher function and the body the lower function, it's got to be present from the very beginning. If that's the case, then a very good case can be made for ensoulment not three months down the line, but ensoulment right there from the state of, of fertilization conception. Rather interesting, too, then in a lot of these near-death experiences, uh, there was, uh, you know, this book, Heaven is for Real, for example. This is just an illustration. I'm not building a whole case on it. But, um, but basically in that book, you, you have uh, this uh, little kid uh, who basically is reporting, right, that um, he's had this near-death experience and he has met his sister mm -hmm. in the afterlife, right? right? right so right. Uh, he comes back and he says, uh, well, Mom, I, I met my sister. And her mom, the mom says, oh, your sister's right here, you know, uh, and uh, you see her every day. No, no, that's not the sister. Um, no, no, the sister I met was a sister who died when she was in your tummy. And the mom was going, uh, uh, how do you know about that? Well, she came up and uh, hugged me, uh, you know, and she's kind of grown up now because she was actually born, uh, you know, um, born before me. So he's, mm -hmm. he's thinking of conception's birth. And right. so, uh, you know, uh, the idea then is, uh, uh, you know, she came and hugged me. She told me, you know, that she was my sister and, and that she's all right. And, uh, and then the mother says, well, what was, uh, what was her name? Oh, uh, uh, she has no name. Uh, she said, because you and Daddy couldn't give her a name because you didn't know whether she was a boy or a girl. Mm. Wow. The mother, right. of course, jaws on the floor. So the point I'm trying to get to is, oh, maybe Eccles is right. And maybe the ensoulment really does occur right there at the very moment of conception, as the Catholic Church has said, all these years. Right. And, of course, if that is the case, this, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas not having any, you know, physiology, biology, etc., uh, notwithstanding, you know, his normally incredibly prescient, good, you know, uh, deep cog cognitive genius mm -hmm. judgments. I mean, uh, you know, I think the Catholic Church has been right. And, and uh, I think there's good right. physiological evidence for it. I think there's good evidence from near-death experiences, terminal lucidity. I think there's all kinds of very, very interesting evidence for all this stuff. But the main point is, even if it were not the case, mm -hmm. even still, that little baby, which we know has a full human genome, has a uniquely human zygote, which will be the unity uh, and, and the source of every single cell in that body mm -hmm. for the rest of that child's life, is present right there at the stage of a single-celled zygote. If that is the case, then I can assure you of this. Whether the soul is present or is not, and I'm certain that it is present at that stage, whether that be the case or not, 
that child has inalienable rights. And if we don't respect it, then we're right. saying that it's okay to perpetrate the most fundamental injustices on, on little kids and to do it because they're voiceless and they're in a womb or they're dependent. This is hogwash and it's got to stop. It's corrupting us. You can tell it's corrupting us by what's going on in our society today. And so, I mean, you know, the, the heartlessness of right. picking apart babies. I'm not saying everybody does that, uh, you know, in the, in the pro-abortion movement. Absolutely. But what I am right. saying is, is that, uh, you know, there is uh, certainly a kind of a sickness that's pervading our culture. Right. And if you, uh, we can all see it. A lot of confusion. It, and we can stop it. Right. And a lot, a lot of confusion. Of and, and bad that's information right. people got. So let's move yep. quickly in the, in the closing eight minutes of the show about into Satan's <laughs> tactics, which I think we're talking right. about in many ways already. We're talking about them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you, you talk about free will, and this is about human freedom. Uh, on page mm -hmm. uh, 202, you say, at the center of free will is our capacity for self-conscious consciousness, mm -hmm. enabling us to create our own inner world, indeed to create our own moral essence. What does that mean? Yeah, what happens is, uh, uh, you know, we've got this remarkable gift. And just a few seconds ago, I was saying that self-consciousness is actually, mm -hmm. um, it, when you, um, it's a spiritual power. And, and I, you know, I can, uh, let me try and simplify, uh, simplify the thing, uh, illustrate it real uh, quickly. You know, you, you basically, you're, when you're self-conscious, uh, self your conscious is getting your itself. So you can say, well, um, I'm conscious of my hand. But now I can also be conscious of being conscious of my hand. Mm -hmm. It's like my consciousness is doubling back and catching itself, catching the hand. Mm -hmm. So now when you think about that for just one moment from the vantage point of physics, just how is it possible when the upper velocity, let's say, is the speed of light uh, in, in the physical universe, how is it going to be possible to physically explain how the same act of consciousness can double back and get itself. Uh, that's the main thing. And if that is the case, it, you know, how can it get itself even getting itself? Mm -hmm. uh, which is what really is done when we create our own inner universe. So all that put together, you look at it and go, that doesn't seem to be a physical act because it's like trying to put your briefcase inside your briefcase. It's like your dog not just catching its tail, but circling back and getting itself and not only eating itself entirely, but eating itself eating itself. Mm -hmm. And if, if you know, there's something non-physical that can be done, you'd have to be traveling at an infinite velocity to do that. So I'm going to call that a spiritual power for just a second. But what that spiritual power enables us to do is to have our own inner universe. Now we can not only see ourselves, we can see ourselves relative to the rest of the world and even see ourselves seeing ourselves. This remarkable power, which I call spiritual, divine, transcendent power mm -hmm. of self-consciousness, is a truly remarkable thing indeed. And so if we uh, uh, you know, uh, look at it seriously, mm -hmm. take this thing seriously, I think what we can see is um, not only that we have a choice, because now, of course, we can see alternatives relative to the world outside of us. I could do, uh, I could kill this person or not kill this person. Mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, and, and of course I'm thinking about it. What's the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do? I've got a consciousness which, a conscience, excuse me, which gives me the moral principle. I've got a consciousness that sees myself as having this option radically to do the right act or the wrong act. And I can actually put my finger on either one and say, well, I think I, I'm going to do the right one or I'm going to do the wrong one. But whatever the case is, I'm free to do it because I have self-consciousness, I have conscience, and I have the ability to see myself in relation to the world and see myself seeing myself in relation to the world. And there is the principle of freedom. There is the principle that no non-spiritual being has, which I don't think any animal has, not even the highest primates by far do not have mm -hmm. uh, this spiritual capacity. I've got a whole chapter on this in a book, I'm finishing up Science at the Doorstep to God, mm -hmm. but that's the basic uh, illustration of it. Um, and I think that makes human okay. beings very unique indeed and made in the image and likeness of God. Now you talk about here on the page uh, I guess it's 203, uh, you mm -hmm. talk about our, our, our Adam and Eve and you talk about the fact that they, in a sense, succumbed to the temptation of Satan and chose the weaker self-reverential option. What is that and is that what all of us in some ways are experiencing in society today? Well, yeah, I mean, self-reverential is, is the key point. Uh, who are you going to adore, mm -hmm. God or you? Mm -hmm. Who are you going to worship? God or you? I mean, fundamentally, that's the question that it comes down to. Notice how the serpent phrases it, uh, you know, in this brilliantly conceived uh, biblical narrative. Mm -hmm. He says, hey, that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And if you eat of that fruit, you're going to become just like God. And of course, there's the temptation that's but he's not gonna have any more than you have. He's trying to hold out on you because he wants to be superior to you. Mm -hmm. And so he's keeping you away from that tree. But all you gotta do is eat from the tree, you're gonna be just like him. And guess what? You don't have to be subservient any longer. You can worship yourself, you can be a law unto yourself. You can be your own God. Mm -hmm. You can be totally self-reverential mm -hmm. and self-idolatrous at will. You can be <laughs> just you, mm -hmm. you little divinity you. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's the whole point, um, you know, of the, the mm -hmm. what I call the ultimate temptation is, you know, deep down inside, I don't want to be subservient to anybody. I don't want to be obedient to anybody. I want what I want, and I want it now. And of course, when it gets to its ultimate extent, mm -hmm. it basically becomes self-idolatry, the worst of all possible sins. And so the devil goes for the goal. And by the way, uh, how does the devil tempt Jesus? I mean, he, he just, you know, uh, comes you know right to the point mm -hmm. if you really are the son of God see the point is not you know just getting Jesus to eat you know turn some stones into bread and eat mm -hmm. some bread it's if you really are the son of God you could then turn these stones into bread I mean hey if you really are the son of God you could just jump right off this parapet and don't worry, he's going to send his angels to protect you. Everything's going to be just fine. I mean, you're you. 
you could do it. I mean, after all, you know, uh, why this obedience stuff? It's all nonsense. Go ahead. You know, he'll protect you. Uh, you're, you're just like, I mean, you are the son of God, aren't you? And so, of course, there's a matter of pride there, right. a matter of self-idolatry. You know, no, no, Jesus, of course, is not going to fall prey to right. any temptation to self-idolatry or to you know, spirit, even the most fundamental form of spiritual pride. Even though he could, he deserves it, but he's going to be obedient first. And there is the example of true love. He obeys the Father be, the father that he loves, the father that he knows, mm -hmm. is uh, you know uh, you know uh, co you know the source of wisdom, as he has you know uh, you know participated in that wisdom fully since the very beginning. No one knows the father except the son, and no one knows the son except the father. The whole point, of course, uh, is Jesus obeys right. to the end. Obedience being the fullness of love, obedience being the fullness of freedom, obedience, obedience being the fullness of wisdom. Jesus knows this. It's right. not asserting myself over against the living God. It's just being obedient well, to the living God. Obedience is not a it's not a popular term we hear uh, in the world we hear today. So with that being said, I have to be obedient and end the show. So if you'll give us Absolutely. your uh, blessing on the way out the door, Father, that'd be great. Absolutely. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all wisdom and love and freedom, the Lord who has loved us so deeply, so perfectly, so beautifully, May that, Lord, be at the forefront of our mind and elicit our obedience and fill us with the fullness of his wisdom, freedom, and love through that obedience so that we might enter into the fullness of his kingdom and lead others to do so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Have a great and a holy and a blessed uh, birthday this weekend. We'll see you. Oh, thank you very Thank you much. next week. And of course, we invite all of you to keep Father Spitzer in your prayers as well as uh, his books in your own personal collection. You can pick them up through our EW10 Religious Catalog. Next week, Human Freedom Temptation is what we'll be talking about. This weekend, a really great book, Calming the Storm, Navigating the Crises, Facing the Catholic Church and Society by Father Gerald Murray. He's also on EW10 Live with Father Mitch tonight, so check that out. He's always great. And we've got the National Mass for Life followed by the National March for Life from Ottawa, Canada tomorrow, Thursday, May 12th, Mass at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Our coverage begins at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Don't miss it. It's very important today to be pro-life. We shall see you next time in Father Spitzer's Universe. <laughs>